1: Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Madeline Moore came into the world in 1924. She was born in Taloncourt. A small village in france where she lived with her three brothers and one sister her mother died giving birth to the youngest child and her father abandoned the family soon after leaving them to be cared for by the state as a result madeline grew up in the foster system but as she got older she worked as a servant on local farms her story doesn't end there though in her teenage years conflict erupted across europe sending countries around her into a second world war. To find safety, Madeleine fled to Orléans, where she found refuge inside a convent. During her time there, the war claimed two of her brothers. But her remaining siblings, her brother René and her sister Nancy, both remained close for years to come. In fact, Madeline would later work in a factory, just one town over from Nancy all the way up till 1967. That's when she met and married a railway worker, and the two of them moved to Algeria to start fresh, and Madeline never moved back to France after that. She lived out the rest of her life with her husband in the Mediterranean. It's a nice story, isn't it? A life that began with tragedy, only to be torn apart by wars, ends up full of peace and tranquility. But even after all of that, Madeline's story doesn't end there. In fact, it was just beginning. In her 80s, Madeline had to return to her hometown in Taloncourt in 2006 to renew her ID card and secure her government pension. She brought with her the usual documentation, like her birth certificate and her passport, and presented them in what should have been a pretty simple process. There was just one problem. Madeline Moore had already claimed her government pension. Her checks were sent to Saint-Étienne, her home of the past 20 years. And obviously, our Madeline was confused, and possibly even upset. Sure, she had lived in Algeria for nearly four decades, but she was the real Madeline Moore. She had the paperwork to prove it. Of course, the authorities assumed it was just a simple case of identity theft. Someone else was pretending to be Madeline in order to claim her pension as their own. They just needed to spend some time investigating it to sort it all out, and then all the confusion would go away. Except it didn't. When this new Madeline arrived from her home in Saint-Etienne, she produced the exact same documentation. A birth certificate, ID card, even old pay stubs, all of them clearly showing identical details to our Madeline Moore. Both women gave detailed descriptions of their upbringings to the police. Each of them explained how their mother had died young, and their father had abandoned them. Each woman described living in foster care after that. This new Madeline seemed to know every single detail of our own Madeline's life, right down to the most tragic pieces. Clearly, this was no longer a case of a stranger getting a hold of forged documents to steal a little money. This was something else something stranger. But being the 21st century, they had new tools to lean on, tools like DNA. So they acquired a sample from René, Madeline's brother who had survived the war, and then took samples of both women to compare them. And the results were conclusive. Our Madeline was the real Madeline, and I'm sure you're as relieved as I am to hear that. But it still wasn't over, because there was a new piece of evidence that muddied the waters, rather than making them more clear. It was an old black-and-white photograph that Rene had sent to his sister. It had been taken during their time at the orphanage when they were children. In the photo, the police could clearly see young Madeline, posing in a sun-filled field with a smile on her face. But she wasn't alone. Rene was there, and he had his arms around another girl. It was clear that the first girl was Madeline, our Madeline, of course, but everyone wondered who the second girl was. Rene didn't remember when he handed the photo to his sister, but someone did recognize the second girl. One of the policemen, the one who had been interviewing the new Madeline for hours that day, was absolutely certain that the stranger in the photo was the elderly woman sitting across the table from him. After he pointed it out to the others, everyone else agreed. Which was weird because neither of the women had any memory of the photograph being taken. It's understandable, really. The photo must have been 70 years old. I have a hard enough time remembering what I did two weeks ago, so seven decades must have felt like an eternity. They had no memory of the photo, no memory of ever meeting. But clearly, they lived at the same orphanage way back in the 1930s. None of this explains how both women came to think of themselves as Madeline Moore. Perhaps the war had been too rough on the second woman, and she began to slowly think of herself as the girl she'd spent time with at the orphanage. Maybe she pretended for a while, and as time went on, that new persona took over and replaced the woman she had once been. Or maybe it was all an intentional lie, and she was just really committed to it. Whatever the reason, I'd like to think there was more to the story. Don't you? Time is a tricky thing. Some believe it moves in a straight line, while others believe it's destined to repeat itself. Nietzsche referred to it as eternal return, that the universe and everything inside will loop forever across infinite time and space. That's pretty heavy stuff, I know, and it might be a strange concept to grasp if you haven't experienced it. It must have felt that way to Charlotte and Eleanor, too, who got to experience it firsthand for themselves. In 1886, Charlotte Moberly was appointed as the principal of a school for young women in Oxford. As her duties became more overwhelming than one person could handle, she considered bringing on someone else to help with the day-to-day operations. Someone suggested she talk to a woman named Eleanor Jourdain, who ran a school of her own. She had an apartment in Paris, and Charlotte took the opportunity to stay with her as both a vacation and a job interview. Both women had a love for travel, and in 1901, during Charlotte's stay at Eleanor's place, they toured several locations around France. One such landmark was the Palace of Versailles. Built by Louis XIII, the palace had been home to French royalty for generations, including two of its most famous residents, Louis XVI, and his wife, Marie Antoinette. After a tour of the place and its vast marble interiors, elaborate tapestries and sprawling corridors, Eleanor and Charlotte found the whole thing underwhelming. I'm not sure what they were expecting, but Versailles didn't do it for them. So instead of going home right away, they decided to explore more of the grounds and see the Petit Trianon, a chateau built by Louis XV and where Marie Antoinette was known to spend most of her time. But they got lost. Eleanor and Charlotte spent more time looking down at their guidebook than at the path they were walking on, and as a result, they wandered off the main route and couldn't find their way back. As they did, the overall mood of the world around them seemed to shift. They later recalled that they both felt a wave of nausea wash over them, so much so that they had to flag down two gardeners for help. At least, that's what they thought the two men were since both men had been pushing a wheelbarrow nearby. But there was something different about them. Something off. Rather than wearing modern clothing of 1901 France, their outfits seemed two centuries too old. Despite being dressed in an odd manner, the men were helpful, and they guided the two women back toward the Petit Trianon. Charlotte and Eleanor considered the men as they walked with them. Maybe they were actors, dressed up in period clothing for some performance elsewhere at the palace. Before they could decide, however, events took an even weirder turn. They passed a cottage where a woman in rustic clothing handed a little girl a jug of water. At another building, a man wearing a thick black coat and a wide-brimmed hat looked straight at them, his face covered in the telltale marks of smallpox. They were startled by yet another man, who ran up behind them and ushered them toward the Petit Trianon, where Charlotte witnessed a sight that would haunt her for the rest of her life. It was a woman, also in vintage garments, and she was sketching on the grass in front of the palace. She wore a summer dress and a large white hat, which sat upon a head of thick yellow hair. Eleanor didn't see the woman, but Charlotte thought back to the gardeners in their green jackets and 18th century hats the man with the thick cloak and smallpox, and the poor woman with the child. This woman was no different. Her clothes appeared new, but of a style much older than anything Charlotte and Eleanor were used to. And this beautiful, fair-haired woman bore a striking resemblance to the palace's former homeowner, a woman who had, well, lost her head. The woman Charlotte was looking at was none other than Marie Antoinette, The women didn't talk to each other about what they'd seen until a week later. They compiled their story of what they called a time slip into a book titled An Adventure, which they published in 1911 under the pseudonyms Elizabeth Morrison and Francis Lamont. The tale and its authors were widely ridiculed in publications all over the world. One critic had written a biography of a French aristocrat by the name of Robert de Montesquieu, who had been known to have thrown lavish parties where guests dressed in period clothing and posed for living paintings. It was possible that Charlotte and Eleanor had stumbled into one of these gatherings, but some things didn't quite add up. The young girl and her mother, who had been dressed in peasant clothing, as well as the man with smallpox, didn't seem like they would be welcome at such an extravagant party. And the dreadful feeling that washed over the two academic women as they ventured deeper into the gardens couldn't be explained away either. It's easy for us to scoff at stories like the one told by Charlotte Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain. If we can't see it for ourselves, how are we to know if it's true or not? Tales of alien abductions, Bigfoot, and the Loch Ness Monster have survived because our fascination with the unexplainable and this story was no different. Charlotte and Eleanor swore that they'd caught a glimpse of a time gone by, that they had experienced life in a time that was very much not their own, and they wanted us to know about it. I'd like to believe it all really happened, and that someday it might happen again. A tourist might stumble through the garden paths of Versailles and find themselves standing beside a historical celebrity. And if they do, though, Will anyone believe them today? Maybe, maybe not. Only time will tell. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works.